Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 481. And today we're going to be talking about Zeno or Zeno, whichever you prefer, Xenoblade Chronicles. I don't have a strong preference. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 481, are Leah Haydu. I'm just here for Rain, best boy. Rain. Or Ryan. You can't, yeah, I he played, says, uh, we're going to have to does, talk about that because I played are. it in Japanese, so I'm not 100% sure Ryan, on some it, of the pronunciations. He says it like, line... Um, yeah. And and then he says, uh, you can't, in the English dub, he says, you can't make a rainbow without a little rhine, which... Uh, Best yeah. line ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that other voice you hear is our other guest, first time on the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's Ellie Rhodes. Hello. Welcome. Also known on the internet as Ellie Joy Panic. Ellie is, well, from the Level Clear podcast is where we met. And that's where I discovered that Ellie was into the Xenoblade. Uh, chronicles just a little and, bit <laughs> yeah well that's uh, it's so often the way that we come across the perfect guest just in time because we, we had another couple of folks in line for this show but they had to drop out and it's that kind of a game where people will so to find you was uh, just the purest serendipity uh, ellie is also an industry person is that right yes uh you've worked for big and small studios yeah a whole bunch yeah. triple a and uh, indie <laughs> yeah uh, and so, well, you know, everyone we have on has the credentials in one way or another, but, um, Ellie's an actual video games maker, but also still crucially a fan. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we'll let you do some plugs at the end of the show, but for now let's crack on and talk about this epic JRPG. We may use the word epic more than once. Sometimes it really is very appropriate. We're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles. Also, there is the N3DS version. I don't know if any of us has played and of course the switch definitive edition i will give out a very large spoiler alert this is your warning at the start of the show we will be talking about revelations that happen in this game this story as we can think of them <laughs> uh which is uh well i've i've been watching even though i've just recently played the game for over 90 hours i've also been watching plot synopses and there are still a couple of bits which make me go okay <laughs> um, so we'll see, but between the three of us and what is Xenoblade Chronicles for those not in the know, it is a colossal and grand sci-fi strategy, no fantasy, even sci-fi fantasy JRPG originally released for the Wii in 2010 and since ported to the N3DS and then later remastered for the Switch. That was 10 years after its original release. The developer is Monolith Soft, formerly uh, having made Zeno, the uh, Zeno Saga games or Zeno Saga and Baton Kytos RPGs, also Project Cross Zone, those interesting multi IP sort of battle strategy games for the 3DS. But also, very interestingly, Monolith Soft were roped in, possibly as a direct result of having made this game that we're talking about, into uh, 
assisting Nintendo with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, but also Splatoon 2 and even Animal Crossing New Horizons. So they've become something of a kind of... Uh, I a don't go- know. A go-to, perhaps? A, yeah, uh... a go-to, a pseudo-second party almost. But yeah, obviously they have t- close ties and, and a strong relationship with the big N. The game was originally announced during E3 2009, a trailer was released to the media. Shortly afterwards, the title vanished from the North American release schedule. That's according to the IMDb. There's more of that story to come. Nintendo published it some time after the game's initial reveal, which was as Monado, the beginning of the world, keeping it separate to any previous uh, Xenoblade games. The then Nintendo president, the late Satoru Iwata, changed the title to Xenoblade to honour director producer tetsuya takahashi's previous work on the zeno series so it is kind of a standalone game and i'm speaking as somebody who hasn't got previous but we'll get more into that as we say the creator is tetsuya takahashi he worked on final fantasy 6 back at square and chrono trigger and uh I think we had one three-word review earlier uh, suggesting that this is even a bit of a spiritual successor to the mighty Chrono Trigger. We covered that game some years ago. And of course, he was also responsible for Xenogears, the Square game, which has a notorious second disc, which is mainly exposition and pressing the cross button. But it was originally a pitch for the Final Fantasy VII story. I think that's right. And it was rejected for being too serious and dark and whatever else. which I suppose when you think about some of Final Fantasy VII, that doesn't, but anyway, Xenogears became its own thing and uh, became something of a cult classic. The co-creator is Kokojima, who also worked on Xenosaga episodes one and two and the Baton Kaitos games, of which there are only two, I think. Is that right? I think so. They're both GameCube games, yeah? Yeah. Kind of card-based. That's uh, it. Yeah, I, I, I think I tried them briefly back in the day but um mm. i i never got super into them right at least i tried the first one i don't i don't think yeah. i ever tried the second one no. they are i can tell you from experience they are difficult and expensive to find these days <laughs> yeah much like the the fire emblem uh, yep. gamecube oh, game well, yeah. fire emblem is the well it's not the worst but they are they are pretty bad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> price wise uh, composers include uh, the legendary Yoko Shimomura and Manami Kyoto and the Ace Plus team. I think it's a team. Uh, it was released on the Wii originally in Japan in June 2010. Then over a year later in August 2011 in the UK and the EU. And then another almost getting on for a year, over half a year later in the USA in 2012, a large fan campaign called Operation Rainfall was formed in order to convince Nintendo of America to localize Xenoblade Chronicles, The Last Story, and Pandora's Tower. Though all three games were eventually released for American markets, it is unclear how much of an impact the campaign had on Nintendo of America's decision to do so. So says Moby Games. Our first correspondent from the community is Third Drawing, who posted on the forum, I was one of those that modded my Wii to break the region locking to play this game, and I also bought this day one when it came out in North America because I wanted to support JRPG releases in the West. While I generally prefer turn-based RPGs, this game's battle system became intuitive pretty quickly, especially when playing with a Wii Classic controller. I was genuinely flabbergasted by the scale of this game while playing, 
and how there basically was no loading except while traveling between areas. This is honestly a bit of a technical marvel considering the platform it was on. I know some people might roll their eyes at the grandiosity of the story, but I love this kind of epic scale and I don't even mind Ricky in small doses. <laughs> The game arrived unchanged, just the Wii version as a digital download for Wii U in August 2015 in Europe and then April 2016 in the USA. That port by conversion specialist Monster Games for the N3DS. Only the N3DS, it won't run on your non-new 3DS. Came out in April 2015. Not sure about Japan, but around the rest of the world. And the Switch Definitive Edition... It's quite a new game, really, uh, in terms of release. May 2020. can't believe it's been out over a year already, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, somewhat enhanced graphics, although it's still only maxed out at 720p, even when docked. So it's not a super high-res looking game. Uh, it's got an optional arranged soundtrack. They re-recorded 90 pieces of music for the, uh, for the definitive edition. They completely reworked the UI. Uh, there's a new playable epilogue or it's more like a dlc chapter i suppose uh, and more including some rebalancing and various other tweaks i think ellie you you have familiarity with both versions is that right yes wow that's good yeah i've, okay. I've probably got close to 800 hours across the switch and wii versions so wow. really... <laughs> some familiarity yes <laughs> i am so glad we got you for this one. uh i feel like such a noob with my 92 hours uh <laughs> Reviews-wise, the Wii version did exceptionally well back in 2010-11. It has a 92 Metacritic score. The 3D version on OpenCritic didn't do quite so well, uh, but still excellent, 86%. And the Definitive Edition has an OpenCritic average of 89%, which is not bad for what is a tarted-up version of a 10-year-old game, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. User-wise, actual folks out there, Still really love the game as well. The Wii version has 9 out of 10 on IMDb and 9.1 on Metacritic and 9.2 on Nintendo Life. The 3D versions are also well liked with 8.8 .8 and 8.7 on Metacritic and Nintendo Life respectively. And the new Definitive Edition has a 9 out of 10 on Metacritic from over a thousand folks. And on Nintendo Life it has a mighty 9.3 out of 10 from nearly 400 people who have registered a score, which is extremely healthy. Sales, don't know too much. Data's always scant, but uh, it sold nearly 200,000 in Japan by the end of 2013. I guess that's when they stopped counting Wii units being sold. But the game sold better in the West than it did in Japan. The Definitive Edition seems to have done rather better. I guess the Switch is in way more, the hands of way more kind of dedicated, hardcore, in inverted commas, gamers than <laughs> the Wii was and has sold at least one and a half million copies, according to VG charts. So, well, we've already heard a bit, but our history is with the game. So um, you've just really only dipped your toe in the water then, Ellie, with your 800 hours across <laughs> two versions. Um, did you, well, I suppose to go back to 2010, was this, was this a game you were hyped for? Was it a day one purchase? And did you fall in love immediately or did you come by it somewhat later? Yeah, so it's actually funny that you mentioned Project Rainfall because mm. I, so to kind of, like you say, go all the way back now, um, yeah. I was, I discovered Xenoblade Chronicles through um, official Nintendo magazine um, right. and I found like a little, it was like a singular paragraph about it in one of the issues um, and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting and 
it was actually Xenoblade and reading O&M uh, and seeing how they covered it and how the coverage grew uh, that made me want to start writing for game stuff and like being a part of marketing um, and journalism and things like right. that. So it's it's actually kind of funny that this this game, while yeah, I fell in love with it and it uh, it means a whole lot to me uh, in terms of like story and gameplay and things. Um, it also kind of kickstarted my career a little bit. So um, yeah, I bought it. I think I just graduated from college. I think it was around that kind of time. It was either high school or college, and I uh, went into game as you do. Uh, I'd got my pre-order on the on the limited edition with the controller and everything, and I went and picked it up on the morning it came out, and I played it for the whole summer, like nonstop. And then I kept playing it, and then I started another playthrough, and <laughs> it was just one of those games that I completely fell head over heels for, and uh, so much so that I um imported the uk collector's edition of the definitive edition Ooh, to what, the states what's, uh, what's in the box um well the major difference between the uk and the us versions is that the uk version comes with a vinyl soundtrack and i was like right. i need that i think yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's got like an art book it's uh it's the box is all like monado colored and things um it's got a steelbook case and everything so it's not like a super mm. super advanced collector's edition but I needed that vinyl soundtrack because this is one of my favorite games. So, yeah. Did you go for the N3DS version or is that the one? Did you skip that one? I skipped that one because at the time I was working in gaming retail um, and I managed to try it out in store. Like on, because yeah. you know, you have like demo units and things out and you have copies of the game unboxed and things. Yep. I tried mm. it out and it didn't run how I expected it to no. and it was quite grainy and I uh yeah. it was missing the vast feel like you couldn't get that yeah. same feel from the tiny screen mm -hmm. so I skipped that one um but yeah. I know a few people that enjoyed that yeah of course yeah I think if it's if it's an option if it's your option then I, I don't think like I don't think it completely my guess is it doesn't rob xenoblade chronicles of everything that's good about it it just isn't the optimal way to play yeah exactly yeah. and it was just one of those where i didn't feel the need to buy a new console and the game to play it when i already had it at home you know yeah completely. so yeah but did you do you've double dipped for the definitive edition right yes yeah i've uh i've got every collector's edition for like i've got them for x and for two and for the definitive edition of one um okay because yeah this franchise means a whole lot to me. So okay, well, if we continue the series uh, next year, uh, <laughs> and you and you don't hate your Kane and Winter's experience, we'll uh, we'll have to have you back. Uh, Leah, how about you? Um, yeah, so I um, go going back to the Project Greenfall thing. That is something I had completely forgotten about and mm. uh, ran back across it, uh, just kind of reading around and doing some research before the show, and. It's funny because I was definitely interested in all three of those games. I bought all of them as soon as they came out. I have never until now completed any of them. Pandora's Tower is still in the plastic from when I bought it in 2013 or 2014 or whenever it was. So uh, I played Xenoblade Chronicles when it very first came out. And I played a pretty good amount of it. But I stopped somewhere 
I don't know, maybe somewhere towards the middle. Uh, when I was playing the definitive edition, which is what I played for the show, yeah. I remembered more than I thought I would. So I think I got further than I might have actually remembered that I got, uh, if that if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I I think that it was a case of I wasn't really and this is going to this is going to sound a little odd but I I don't think I was really playing it right. I think I was mm. trying to play it as a turn-based JRPG. Yeah. But it is definitely not that. Uh mm. it, it it the the combat system which we'll go into uh in in greater depth of course it's just not the same type of of experience for me and it, I to me it it requires a bit of a different mindset. It's more akin to a uh an mmo mindset almost um so like i said we'll 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 get into that but i Mm. i think that it was just i wasn't really doing i I wasn't looking at it the right way uh and as a result i just wasn't it wasn't that i wasn't enjoying it i just was having kind of a hard time with it and i wasn't you know it just it it didn't stick with me so i stopped somewhere around the middle or maybe slightly more than the middle of the game uh, on the Wii. And then when the definitive edition came out for the switch last year, I did, I actually picked up the, uh, the collector's edition, um, the U S collector's edition, unfortunately, which does not have vinyl, which I Mm kind of wish, you know, no, I'm kind of glad I didn't know that because I (laughs) would have, uh, spent too much money on that. I forced my friends to buy it for me and send it to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should say accents may, may confuse here, but, uh, you're actually on the West coast of America, aren't you? Yes. I've lived here for 18 months now. You two are about as far apart, but both in America as you can possibly be. I think it will take a few miles. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in New Jersey, so yeah, just about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, it's um. So I played through the definitive edition, um, and I absolutely loved it. So it's uh, it's I I also did play through the additional content. Uh, ah, good. So uh, I can I can speak a little bit on that, um, but. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I am. I kind of had a an aborted attempt at it back on the Wii, and then I uh, played it again on the Switch and uh, got all the way through. Yeah, I bought it on the Wii back in when it came out in 2011. I can't remember if it was when... I remember it dropped in price quite quickly, but then became quite scarce. And then there was a second mm-hmm. print run and stuff. I don't remember exactly where I came in on it, but yeah, I definitely bought the disc and I had that disc for a long time unplayed in traditional fashion <laughs> intentions were good as always but it didn't it didn't get played uh but i loved the look of it I, obviously i'd read the reviews and and it looked like such a, a truly marvelous game world to get one's teeth into but uh but then there we were five years or more later when it came out on the wii u and i still hadn't played the disc so i bought the digital version for nine quid because that's all they were selling it for for the first week or whatever it was uh, and got to sell my disc, um, which more than paid for that, I think. And then I still didn't get around to playing it. <laughs> playing it. And we, you know, we're making a little podcast called Cana Rinse, which means that I have to finish about thirty games a year or something like that. So uh, these games are really not very compatible with what we do, and they're not even that compatible with actually once you put them on the schedule, because completing these kinds of games to a deadline is not 
ideal, I would say. However, I did start, I, I put this one on the list for this year because I simply wanted the opportunity to finally getting around to playing it in its definitive edition form, which I picked up uh, last year at some point, um, pre-owned copy for the Switch on a, on a little game card. And I said, right, this is, you know, this is the way to, to make me do it. Now, obviously, we did our Final Fantasy series a few years ago, and I had to drop out some of those just through demands of time. But I did manage some of them. Um, and with this game, well, I, I gave myself like a really long head start. I think I started it in maybe January. And I played up to about 30 hours with, uh, and that's kind of where I got to with about three weeks to go to recording. And... I was basing this on the fact that I believed I could complete the game in about 60 hours uh, at a push, but no, that was that was I hugely mean, optimistic. I mean, you can. <laughs> Te technically, yes. Yeah. Leon, I'm not gonna, Leon, I'm not going to lie. I did not think you were going to finish this game. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Uh, I know. I'm proud I, of you. <laughs> I heard it said, but um, yeah, it was the spur I needed. But actually, yeah, I've played. Um, I've played sixty hours in the last few weeks. Uh, took the game on holiday with me, uh, with my girlfriend's permission. Um, not that not that we operate like that, but uh, I did actually finish it in our Airbnb on a little mini break the other night. Uh, with yeah, nine, ninety odd hours on the clock at, at level. What was I when I first rolled it? Um, like eighty odd. Uh, maybe 81 i'm now having gone back to it for the next few days on uh level 85 and uh and i revisited the final boss and did it better but uh but that was good uh unfortunately time did beat me in terms of the extra episode content the post game uh i've only played like 40 minutes of that but uh thankfully leah got there anyway yeah so yay i did it um what did i think of it listen on and find out Busker Lily from our forum says, apart from Pokemon, I'm not really a JRPG guy, but Xenoblade Chronicles was my big exception. The world is absolutely phenomenal to explore. The characters drag me through the story with genuine excitement and the music is in my head to this day. I think the user-friendly touches with fast travel, simple side quests and streamlined leveling combined with fast-paced combat and engaging exploration made the experience of playing Xenoblade feel different to other JRPGs I've dabbled with. Curiously, I've bounced off when attempting to play both the sequels. The characters, story and setting didn't appeal in the same way. And despite both having very cool and beautiful worlds, I wasn't as fascinated as I was by the Bionis and Mechonis. For me, it will always be Ryan time. <laughs> so let's get into the story. Uh, there's a lot of story. Uh, there are many twists and turns and reveals. Um, and uh, yeah, some of which have probably already uh, kind of gone out my head as as much as you try to familiarize with this stuff so much happens in these games um the absolutely shortest version of a kind of starting point i found on wikipedia which simply says shulk and his friends embark on a quest to get revenge against the mechon for the assault on their home as they journey along the backs of the titans who make up the world they unravel the secrets of a powerful weapon known as the monado Technically also, accurate, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found a bit more of a uh, an actual encapsulation synopsis from, this is not a contributor, un, well, not a knowing one anyway. This is from Reddit, somebody called Lockstrat, who says, Two people accidentally destroy the universe and recreate it, becoming gods. They eventually wear themselves out from warring with each other. Their bodies become the world where everyone comes from. One body becoming host to organic biological life. 
and the other becoming synthetic mechanical life. The main character, Shulk, becomes a vessel for the biological god unknowingly and is unknowingly guided to wield a weapon capable of destroying or creating the universe, the Monado. Through a series of events and twists wherein he seeks to destroy the mechanical race that killed his childhood friend and love interest, he finds that perhaps the mechanical folks aren't bad, they just had bad factions and some bad history, much like the biological groups where he's from. Also, the chick, that's his childhood friend, excuse the language, ended up getting resurrected as a cyborg. Everything is mostly resolved on that front until the gods come back into play. The mechanical god is slain and the biological one inhabiting the main character breaks free. And through some series of luck or fate, the main character is able to retain his body and come back to life, despite being killed and dead for his entire life. He finds that the Monado, the sword, is actually the tool that allowed the destruction or recreation of the universe. And that is essentially what granted him his freedom and will. He wields his own new Monado, despite the old one being taken by the biological god, and slays him. The Monado then grants him the power to become a god, but he chooses instead to recreate the universe. So some fairly grand themes. <laughs> uh, did did uh, Ellie, is your obvious love of this game, uh, Is it how much of it is wedded to the, the characters and the story? Oh, God, I fell in love with uh, all of it. Honestly, like, I, mm -hmm. I don't even know where to begin with this game, but the story is always the selling point for me. Um, I have streamed this game in full um, and I've okay. pitched it to a great many people who are just like, oh, it's just Ellie being weird again with her with a strange JRPGs. Um, mm. But the the way that I always pose it to people uh, is the kind of brief synopsis of the Titans warring and locked in time and life springs up and war begins again. And uh, I always use a the analogy of, okay, so imagine the Would You Kindly from Bioshock. Imagine mm. that four times throughout a game. <laughs> and people are like, I like it. what? And this game just turns so many things on its head and causes you to question everything that you've played and seen up to that point. And that is one of the biggest selling points for me that even, even if you are experienced with JRPGs and even if you are experienced with the kind of tropes of, of yeah. anime and things like that, it still manages to surprise you. And I have mm. friends even now playing through it. Uh, people will drop into my chat like midstream and they'll be like, Ellie, I just played this part of the game and oh my God, right. what is this? And it's just, <laughs> it's fantastic that it can manage to do that so consistently throughout. Yeah. Leah, as somebody with a Bioshock tattoo, does that make sense, that analogy? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and and also, um, I I think that there's some pretty strong Final Fantasy influences, particularly towards the end. Yeah. Um, the, the whole section where Shulk is finding out who he is and why he was chosen and why his his why he has the Monado and why it can do what it can do. That's all very Final Fantasy seven slash eight to me. There's right. there's a yeah. lot of of very potent similarity in there. And of course it's not just a direct, you know, comparison, but it it it, it very much brought up those things for me. The Shulk being dead the entire time and not 
you know, nobody realized it or, uh, and not even himself, the, the sword actually being a character who you have had not in your party, but alongside you kind of the entire time. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's, 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 it is a a lot of, um, this is a very anime game and that appeals to me (laughs) so hard because you know who I am. And if anybody has listened to this show, you know that I'm, uh, that's, that's very, that's very much my jam. So, um, yeah, this is, um, it has a lot of the, uh, twists and turns, I guess is, is the kind of stereotypical way to put it, but, um, and then goes cosmic at the end. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and, and also it's got, you know, the, the sprawling landscapes, um, you can check off your epic, epic um mention number two but or i think it's only been two so far but uh yeah i i think that's that's what really drew me in i think was the setting of the game uh Mm -hmm. the fact that it's not just you know a planet it is these two huge huge scale like putting something in that kind of scale is just a fascinating thing to me because not a lot of games really do that which of the kind of the major story beats and reveals are the ones that really resonated for you? Oh gosh. Um I think I think the big one for me was the uh reveal in inverted commas of uh Dixon being Dixon. a bad guy. Because <laughs> yeah. like I remember so this was one of those games that I was still living with my parents when I when I played it and um I have a younger sister. She's uh four years younger than me, I think. So we were, we were at the right age where we were both off school, like, or college. Um, and we were, we'd sit in my bedroom every day and play games, like, all summer. And she cool. sat through it with me and watched the whole game with me. Um, and wow. uh, I remember saying just after the first Metal Face, uh, like, battle, um, mm. just past Colony 6, um, Dixon makes a weird comment. And I was like, he's a bad guy. And then lo and behold, like 150 hours later, yes, he's a bad guy. Uh, But that's the one that's kind of stuck with me because it's like he's been so comedy villain throughout um, that Mm. it it didn't come as a surprise, but it felt really good to have that kind of confirmed. And of course, the whole Shulk is dead (laughs) was a huge shock. And then the ending is just completely mind blowing. And I had to... I actually had to go back and replay the ending again and beat Zanza yeah. again to rewatch yep. the end cutscene and try and process all the information that's given to you because <laughs> it basically just says, yeah, everything that you've been doing isn't like what you think it is at all. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's um it's worth saying you you start the game kind of starts throwing throwing you for a loop from the beginnings. You play a a, a relatively brief kind of opening prologue where you play as the guy who looks like he's going to be the hero although if you've played a jrpg before you know he's too old and (laughs) too kind of battle ready you need to be a bit over 16 get rid of it he's also not blonde come on exactly yeah (laughs) he looks battle ready and capable but actually two of the three people that that you start that uh that section with uh go on to become ostensibly enemies uh, they're actually they they do heel turns. Um, uh, was it Mama Car and yeah. uh, and Dixon? I was never sure about like 
Dixon's reveal, though, but he he suddenly go. I mean, he he has a cigar the whole game, which could have been a clue because he's just kind of <laughs> chomping, chomping on it. Um, but his I wasn't quite sure actually what his motivation were, other than he actually, you know, he spent a lot of time being, you know, basically apparently playing against type because his real type was evil. Um, and he just seems to be kind of, yeah, moustache twirlingly, cigar chompingly evil. Well, yeah, his whole thing is that he's trying to protect the vessel, isn't it? Like, that's his whole deal. So he's trying to prevent Shulk yeah. from establishing what's going on. <laughs> and right. it, it just yeah. felt like such a non-reveal to me. But at the same time, it was it was great to do that battle as well. To finally get to punch him in the face, as he deserved. <laughs> <laughs> this being a JRPG, you pick up some waifs and strays along the way or characters with motivations and reasons for being and you form a tight group of friends which becomes a kind of uh, kind of family um obviously there's uh shulk is, is your main character you've got fiora the childhood friend who for a while you think has been eaten turns out she's actually just she's simply been put into a robot and given a robot body <laughs> and had a memory wiped but, of but course. It's, it's fine in the end <laughs> Um, also, uh, Ryan, who we've already mentioned. So, uh, I think I saw one of the videos I was watching an appreciation of this game sort of said something I, I agree with, which was that compared to a lot of JRPGs, although, although it does have quite a few similarities in certain tropish ways, uh, this game perhaps does a better job of making you feel like the people who already know each other in this game actually do already know each other. Like there's... There, seems there is to be some severe bromance going on between right. Shulk and Rain, and I sure. love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's they are they are such good friends. It's it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they meet Sharla along the way, and Melia, who uh, yeah, join the party and and have a lot to do. I think um, Sharla. Now I learned today that is uh, Sharla may be considered one of the weakest characters at, in combat in as to play. But I believe that both Leah and I, I don't know about you, Ellie, used Sharla as part of our main party throughout the entire game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. First she's, a, she's, she's a healer. Yeah. yeah, she's oh, okay. absolutely necessary in a first playthrough. Um, right. On replays. Nobody else really seemed like they had effective enough heal. Like every, not agree, everybody, yeah. but mm. a, lot of a lot of characters have some kind of healing. And mm. I'm sure that if you spec them in the right way, that they could, you know, they could probably be fine, especially in a later playthrough. But I just, it just didn't seem like anybody really had enough to kind of carry you through. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, yeah. You, so you that, absolutely I, need her for a first oh, play, right, just okay. because you're not necessarily familiar with the battle systems. And yep. like it, like on replays, I tend to go with a different party entirely. I don't often use Shulk um, because... Mm. He is not actually that. that strong. <laughs> okay, right. um, Like in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so, but once you know how to balance the party and once you are more yeah. confident and comfortable with uh, specking up certain abilities and things and certain arts, you can then balance things to where you don't need healing. So, mm, okay. like I tend to take Ricky as a healer now when I play. Right. Um, okay. Because he is super aggro uh has high hit points and can also heal so yeah yeah he he replaces Sh Shala for me now <laughs> shulk has a healing spell it just yeah. sucks it, yeah <laughs> like, 
it's, yeah. it, it's it's okay really early on, but then it just gets outpaced so quickly. Mm-hmm. I was I still using it a, at the end, though. As um, I tried to yeah, keep myself it was, alive, <laughs> it was more of a a desperation move for me yeah. most of the time. But uh, um, speaking of Ricky, um, I normally hate that kind of character, the one who's like. Oh, I was the... wondering that. Yeah, who who likes him? Who found him annoying? That I actually liked Ricky. Okay. I thought he was okay. Um, I used him um, for the chunk of the game towards the end where you actually don't have Shulk for a while. Um, I swapped him in as my my uh, party leader, and uh, mm. yeah, he, he he was pretty good. And yeah, I didn't. I I uh, normally the uh, the the kind of comic relief character. I find them to be grading usually yeah um, and yeah. often I, I i would not be surprised at, for people who find ricky yes. annoying but um i don't know i i just i maybe it was because i wasn't playing it in english um mm. maybe that would have annoyed me more but uh yeah, yeah it I just thought, sounds like a 40 year old guy doing a silly voice in the in the <laughs> european dub uh, whereas the but the japanese version is very much straight down the line cutesy anime uh little sprite character he, so, uh, yeah, I think the the design's quite cute. It's funny you bring that up because I adore Ricky with my whole heart. Okay, <laughs> he that's is, good. He is I would one expect of my that favorite from a characters. super fan of the game. Yeah, good. Uh, but the the knock on in Xenoblade X and Xenoblade Two are irritating as hell uh, because okay. they they lean into the cutesy like Ultra Ricky cutesy. kind of turns the the comedic trope on its head a little bit, doesn't he? Because he is like a middle aged creature with a whole funny, family yeah. <laughs> to feed and that's why he's the hero like he's not yeah. doing it out of like the good of his heart and he's not doing it for glory or anything he's doing it because he's literally in debt to the village like <laughs> he's great he is kind of a deadbeat and that's yeah uh, it's, he's it's like oh no please cute. i'm adorable please don't do this and like it's <laughs> it's great that they've they've kind of taken that angle with it and i think that's what makes him tolerable for a lot of people we should mention some of the voice cast because they, they do uh, a lot of people sort of uh, communicating with us about the game wanted to mention particularly that European localization. Uh, I also played it in Japanese just because I tend to when it's a Japanese game, but absolutely no, you know, kind of everyone should do whichever is their own preference and, and maybe try them both out. But I was one I was interested because Jenna Coleman plays Melia in the original game. She This was pre-fame, so pre-Doctor Who possibly about the same time as she had a very small part in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. But presumably Melia, they didn't get her back for the 2020 chapter to play Melia again. So I don't know if there's a different credit there. Interestingly, she uh, Melia is also voiced in uh, in the Japanese version by uh, Shioli Kutsuna, who uh, you might know from Deadpool 2 as Yukio. Uh, amusingly as well, Ryan, uh, his English voice actor is called Jay Taylor, but not to be confused <laughs> with our editor, Jay Taylor. Uh, Shulk in Japan is voiced by Shintaro Asanuma and Adam Howden gives a very spirited performance. I'd heard Shulk already, of course, from Smash uh, on the Wii U and then Ultima on, on the Switch. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you must... He must have heard him say all his lines thousands of times, uh, Ellie, having yeah. played this through multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I'm like now like you two should go and play it with the English dub. 
<laughs> because like it is a it's such an amazing experience and I like I found that I really connected with the characters because I wasn't having to this not in not in a bad way but I wasn't having to read subtitles it was the the acting yeah, is just incredible with it well and, I've like, started a new game plus so I, 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 I'm willing to switch that one yeah to the the european it's just get back to it it's just like a whole different game like i tried it in japanese for a bit and i was like okay this is just a very anime experience and then with the with the english (laughs) dub it's like adam howden in particular is fantastic um and i don't know if you've seen the the videos online where he's like memeing his kids by like doing the voice lines at them when they're like in shops and stuff and he sees the game and things but like they're just they're so there's so many good lines in the game as well like the writing is fantastic and i i don't want to like compare it to two and x again but like the acting Mm. is just nowhere near as good in those games this one they really kind of struck gold with it and Mm. um yeah uh what's the face that plays uh melia jenna coleman she was mm. this was like in her Emmerdale days so she was like a soap right. opera yeah. in the UK and yeah yeah she, this was where people knew her from and I was I had no idea until I played it through recently that that was her yeah. and then I recognized right. the voice and I was like oh my goodness but um yeah it's but, yeah fun times I looked at I I I when I had seen the uh the credits and saw Jenna Coleman I was like I know that name and then <laughs> I just looked her up right now cuz I couldn't remember who it was and yeah oh yeah okay yeah now yeah. that makes sense <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, I found that the, while the voice lines, yes, in combat, they can get a little bit repetitive, they're they're not as obnoxious as they are in the other games in the series where they do have variety in them. Um, A lot of the comedy lands very well with the English dub uh, because it becomes, instead of it sounding like a motivational, yeah, we did it kind of thing. Like there's a whole, (laughs) there's a whole interaction between Charla and Ryan where like Ryan's like, Charla, did you see what I did? And she's like, oh, I wasn't really looking. And it's like, it's just perfect. It lands so well. Um, But yeah, play it with the English dub. (laughs) With regard to the the voice acting and the localization, something that I am interested in is the fact that the, as the American here, um, I, it, it is very localized to a, a, a British audience, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is which is kind of interesting because you don't see that very much. They tend to pander to the Americans, yeah. more often. It was than simply not. that Nintendo of Europe wanted to release yeah. it, and Nintendo of America didn't, so it got a European localization. Yeah, right. Which which is I I mean I I am absolutely not complaining. I think that's cool, but it's it's mm. just something that you that is notable because you don't see it very yeah. often. It's yeah. nice, yeah. And there there have been a few. I think um it was the same deal for for the exactly the same reasons with um the last story as well. Yeah. So bizarrely, um Xenoblade Chronicles X has a more American localization yeah. and Xenoblade Chronicles mm. two is back to the English localization. Right. Like the actors oh, okay. are from Yorkshire and they're Welsh and they're Scottish and like yeah. it's it is European and mm. I I agree, it is very weird. <laughs> So yeah, I guess the key themes of the game then, uh, it seems for a long time like it is just going to be a simple tale of revenge, but I did kind of think that was, it, it like that wouldn't be very fitting for one of these kinds of games, that it was just purely, they killed us, they killed our people, they, they, they ravaged our town, let's go and kill the robots. Like that seemed an incredibly simplistic kind of 
point for the game to end up on and of course it doesn't it, it ends up being about far more about uh yeah free will versus destiny and fate and yeah theism versus atheism and and all these other grand themes um i don't know what uh, i've played a fair few jrpgs over the years not as many as uh leah certainly i don't know about ellie but um do they do they ever not go down the grandest theme? Oh, it's the, always the about killing God, isn't it? Yeah, always. pretty much. Um, you, <laughs> right. If you're not ending up in space at the end, something yeah. is probably wrong. That's what <laughs> I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, it's it's not it's not always, but it is. I, I mean, it's 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 the trope it's a for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it, that's that's why people think about it is because it does happen a lot. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I Not just, necessarily. I, I, think, no. I, I will occasionally chuckle at it when I see it yet again, yeah. but uh, yeah. Yeah, see, for <laughs> me, with it being my first JRPG, I was like, what? We're going to space? And it was <laughs> yeah. like, like I say, the game blew my mind when I first you played it. You never forget your first. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever genre. Uh, Toon Scottoon actually wanted to put some questions to the panel, which is uh, a new kind of correspondence that we don't <laughs> normally do. Maybe we'll encourage it in future. See how it goes. Toon asks, who were the big three of your party? I found myself leaning hard on Shulk, Rain and, and Ricky uh, right up to the end, though one of the things I thought the game did a great job of was making everybody feel like a viable option. And follow up question, is Klonoa from the Klonoa games a very fit Nupon? Or are the Nopon just uniquely a uniquely obese tribe of whatever Klonoa is? Either way, you rock that dad bod, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> so on the first one, yes, uh, uh, my mine was uh, yeah, Shulk, Rain, and Sharla. Uh, yeah, that was mine. T- mine as well. Um, and Ellie, you're saying it, what? So you you you're saying you started off with something and then now you play it and you kind of mix and match yeah so on my first playthrough i feel like i need to just sort of before diving into this the definitive edition has so many quality of life improvements that it is way more feasible to have a mix and match party throughout Mm -hmm. right so um things like the telethia battle in the jungle and um the uh, what's the face lorithia battle inside the bionis they oh, were, I heard that one's notorious difficulty Yeah, spot, you needed which, a set party yeah. for that, and they needed to be a certain level, and you needed to have yeah. certain arts equipped. Mm. Otherwise, it was, like, impossible to do. Um, so on my first playthrough, I was hardcore Shulk, Sharla, Ryan. Like, that was just what yep. I played. But then when, I, when it came to those battles, I had to learn how to use different characters. Mm. Um, and now I tend to go uh, Ricky, Ryan, and Dunban, because cool. they're just a party of tanks. And it's right. great. Um, Hard to take them down. Yeah, yeah. I messed around with Fiora a lot uh, in the late game um, on my first playthrough, which means that now when she comes in, I'm fairly comfortable taking her into boss battles because she kicks ass. Um, yeah. She's especially useful in the Mekonis as well. So right. I, like I say, now that I've kind of played it enough and now that the Definitive Edition kind of has a bit more flexibility in what you can do, mm. um it's it's fun to to just choose random parties um i also love the melia and ricky combo as well they work really well together um yeah. but yeah that's the only thing i i feel having played through with the three although i did dabble a little with the others i feel like i've missed out on seeing a lot of the kind of effects and possibilities and again you know in a world of infinite time and 
uh, and and not as many games I would almost certainly go back through on that new game plus and play with everybody else and just you know just to see and hear what the what they can get up to uh, and yeah investigate the depths of the combat a bit more but but that said even within the the three that I mainly used I don't know about you Leah but I found there was quite a lot to get to grips with in terms of the possibilities of the the different arts and the skill links and all that kind of stuff yeah for sure um i I will say that for a lot of the just kind of grinding content, um, just running around doing side quests and that kind of thing, I kind of had a set, a set thing, like a set way that the battle would go. You know, it, if it's if it's uh, mechons, then I'm gonna do this. If it's uh, not, then I'm gonna do this. And you know, there's and it's just a, it's yeah. it's a lot of managing cooldowns, which you yep. know, it's mm-hmm. and and as you. As you use, there is a benefit to using the same party, which is that as you build those kind of, I hesitate to say social links because they're not quite that, but um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's affinity, similar... isn't it? It's party affinity. Yes. Yeah. And and as you build that up, it becomes easier and easier to do like the big chain attacks, and you know, as I mean, naturally, as your party works together more, they are going to become more effective at working together. So, I mean, it's it's. I do, I agree that I, I feel like maybe I did miss out on some of the, the other characters um, and, and how they would interact, but I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to settle into a, a party that yeah. you like. Yeah, I was the complete opposite. When I was doing side quests, I'd use random people to like get their party affinity up because you unlock more quests as the Ooh. affinity rises. Yeah, So then I'd that. use like my main party for main quests when I knew that they could get the job done. And then when I was just running around, I'd just choose random people. <laughs> Yeah, we've probably only done, Leah and I have probably only done like, I don't know, 250 of the 400 side quests <laughs> or something like there that. There are a lot of side quests. Yeah. Uh, we've already answered this question, but I quite like the closing line from uh, Toon Scottoon, who says, what voice cast did everybody choose? I started out with the English speaking voice actors and I abandoned that for the Japanese with the English subtitles after an hour. As I mentioned before, I tended to use Ryan a lot and I found his in-fight commentary just obnoxious. As for the rest of the cast, you all have a better, a better ear for the accents, but in that first hour, it sounded me like a Milwaukee-based amateur theatre troupe performing Oliver Twist. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> uh, DeMonth says, I'm just here to say I think that Rain might be one of the most charming characters in gaming. My Xenoblade experience was defined by the myriad of one-liners he dropped during battle, especially the one. You know the one. Don't think I ever took him out of my party either. <laughs> Sean S. Thomas agrees. I found it refreshing to hear amusing regional British accents in a game. And Rager also says, I love the, the English voice acting too. Just hearing British regional northern accents in any game, let alone a JRPG, put a big stupid smirk on my face. Wish you could mute all Nopons though. <laughs> Yeah, a bit more on the the, the graphics um, because uh, you know I think obviously uh, well we've already talked about the fact probably the uh, it goes without saying that the 3ds version is the one that struggles the most for much lower resolution, lower frame rate, and and whatever else. Now the Wii version at the time I remember looking incredibly impressive, but let's not forget this is now a a ten year old game uh, which. Uh, and the Wii itself was already a few years old at this point, and the Wii itself was built basically on the guts of a GameCube, which is a 20-year-old console. So even the definitive edition, you will notice that, you know, compared to in a post-Horizon uh, Zero Dawn or Red Dead Redemption 2 world, you're not going to get that level of detail, fidelity or whatever. 
there are some big polygons here, you know, like water with triangular corners and that, and that kind of thing. Um, and if you're a pixel counter, you'll be appalled by how low <laughs> resolution it is. But um, but for all that, I think uh, it's a really vibrant world in which to spend a lot of time. Um, the 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 color in particular, I think, is is fantastic throughout the game. Um, the use of lighting, such as it is, and uh, shadow. And I know a lot of this has been uh, polished up a lot in the definitive edition, which is the the ex the experience I've had more recently. Um, but one question I am curious to hear from Ellie about is I know that some people preferred the character art style in the original Wii version, which looks, uh, as our friend John Linneman described it, uh, the transition was has gone from Vagrant Story, if anyone knows what Square's Vagrant Story looks like, that's going to help, um, to anime. So the characters do actually look quite markedly different in the switch version compared to the wii version was that was that jarring to you as somebody who already loved these characters not at all <laughs> no you're happy with no, it no yeah i mean it's you know that there's technical limitations on a switch like it's never gonna look like last of us part two or horizon like you say it's never gonna be realistic looking and i'm glad that they leaned into the anime visuals to make it look more stylized to avoid sure. that case of Oh, we just upresed it. You know, it yeah, it's, yeah. it still looks absolutely gorgeous on Switch. Even if mm -hmm. it is not running at at uh like super high resolution and no. things, like it, yeah. it's still beautiful. And you're not you're never gonna play uh Switch games necessarily for like graphical fidelity, are you? Um no. so I for one was really glad that they kind of leaned leaned into that and didn't mm -hmm. try to recreate it too faithfully um which mm -hmm. is probably blasphemy but you know um, no, no. so yeah it, i they still felt like the characters they still looked like the characters even in side-by-side -side comparisons they weren't that different so no, no. just a slightly different feel yeah, yeah and the lighting changed a bit in the game overall anyway because of yes. the remaster so like yeah, yeah shulk looks a bit different his hair's a bit of a different color you know but at the end of the day, I'm just really happy that one of my favorite games ever yeah. was remastered and given quality of life improvements and I can yeah. play on something that isn't a 15-year-old sure. console, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Leah, did you like the way the game looked? Of course I did. I'm I'm <laughs> very pro-anime, so um, yeah, I, I I thought that it... I, I agree in that um, it, it, it was almost a... Um, a similar type of upgrade as the um the Final Fantasy 12 uh the yeah, yeah. upgraded version of that it reminded yeah. me of that a bit um yes. slightly even even more uh of a change just to the the character design not uh not as as we've said not really a um they're not unrecognizable or anything by any stretch um but yeah just a, a bit of a different style and i i really liked it i thought that it uh it it looks like it looks like a new Switch game. I mean, it it doesn't it doesn't look like they pulled a Wii game out and and you know did things to it. It just it looks like a new Switch game. So, I mean, I, I would almost say it. it looks better than Xenoblade Chronicles Two, right? And, and I'm not sure if that's just biased towards the world and stuff, but like yeah. it looks gorgeous. Mm. Sean S. Thomas, again, from the forum, says, I loved my Wii. I'd fallen out of love with gaming for a few years, and my Wii helped lure me back in. But as the sheen of family fun wore off, I craved a decent adventure to rival those that my 360-owning friends were enjoying. 
I'd heard about this game and on the week of its release was ill and sofa bound. I called in at Blockbuster Video, RIP, on the way home to hire a comfort film and noticed this game on the shelf. So I bought it for a rainy day when I felt better. A few days and a long weekend later, I was hooked. From the moment I saw that title screen and that uh, calming effect of the grass waving in the wind, I had a feeling this game was something a bit different. In truth, I've bounced off almost every JRPG I've ever played and often find the drawn-out stories, generic characters and turn-based combat in the genre tedious and predictable. But Xenoblade Chronicles had the quirky, beautiful world that Japanese developers excel at, coupled with a more cinematic and twisting story, and I adored it. The opening of the game does a brilliant job at foreshadowing how long this journey could be. You start with basic combat down a tight, hemmed-in area, and then as you exit the ravine, the world opens up in front of you. As you walk into Gar Plain, you see these immense waterfalls and towering animals that don't even acknowledge you, given your paltry level. But you know that one day you could return and face off against them. The scale of it floored me. The art direction and imagination of the location meant I never cared it wasn't an HD game. And this love only grew as I explored the Bionis regions more and they started to move. You spend the next few hours exploring the map and falling in love with the colony, its neighbouring countryside and the charming side characters. And then the game rips your heart out. Seeing your young friend die motivated me to get vengeance and see the story out in a way few JRPGs ever have done. I won't lie, that seemed unlikely to ever happen a few times during the 100 plus hours it took to beat it, but the end game more than made up for the occasional grind that ensued. Combat was incredibly deep and original too. I loved dancing around enemies, mixing up my party and lapping up the moments when the Monado came to life. I love this game. I've put over 100 hours into it. I've written for about it for Vice Gaming. I've written about it for Kane and Rince, and I've forced several people I know to play it. It's true, there is an article on our website, kaneandrince.com, about uh, the relationship between, written by Sean, about the relationship between Xenoblade Chronicles and Breath of the Wild. Check it out. We've uh, barely, apart from the shouting, the, the vocals, we've barely talked about the audio. Uh, there's uh, an original OST and an arranged option by default in the definitive edition. Uh, there are, I think, probably over 100 pieces of music in total, certainly over 90. Uh, we know uh, Third Drawing says the beautiful soundtrack has to be commended. There are still several tracks from it that I listen to regularly. Sean Thomas again says such a brilliant sounding game. The soundtrack is probably my most listened to in all of gaming. It urged me on and brought each region a, a real sense of uniqueness. Ellie, you have the vinyl. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing you listen, maybe you listen to it digitally more than you listen to the vinyl. I, I have not opened the vinyl. That is staying there sealed we go. forever. <laughs> <laughs> Too important to be played. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing you like the music though. Yes. It's... <sighs> I don't even know where to begin. It moves me to tears just listening to it, depending on the day. Like yeah. the, I remember. Do you do you remember back in the day when you could sit on a title screen and it would uh, go into like a demo, um, a track mode, yeah, yeah, and it would like it would like show a little demo of the gameplay, um, and it would keep playing the the theme song or whatever. Well, Xenoblade still does this. Um, yes. <laughs> so if you sit on the title screen, you will get the title theme, which is about four and a half minutes long and it yep. will keep playing. And every sort of, uh, two and a half minutes or so, it will show you a location from around the Bionis or the Mechonis. As far mm. as I'm aware, it's only locations that you've been, so it doesn't spoil things. 
um oh, and cool. it shows them completely unpopulated uh empty and it does fly throughs of them to the title theme and nice. me and again me and my sister we used to be we'd take a break from the game to eat lunch or something and we'd just leave the title screen playing and we'd right. sit and watch it while we ate or while we chatted and um yeah i use it for work i use it for motivation i use it when i'm painting i use it when i'm grinding in other games like it's <laughs> right it's just one of those that i it's been with me for a decade now and yeah. it's it meant so much to me at such a like formative period of my life as well um that i i will just listen to that forever Leah, did it get to you oh yeah for sure it's it's the two things that I think are really important for uh, a JRPG um, soundtrack wise are generally the field music and the battle music. And yeah, this this nails it in both situations. So I, I was really pleased with the with the music in this game and uh, didn't mind listening to it for 100 hours or whatever, yeah. uh, whatever my end up. Clock, and what's quite uh, fun is if, if you do own Smash Ultimate, of course, uh, with every game they include in there. You get a, a little kind of mini sampler of soundtracks from the series, so uh, worth checking out. Ooh. If you have that game but don't have this game, you can hear some of the music within Smash Ultimate within the menu. I recommend it. One of my favorite parts of the game was, along with experiencing the visuals and exploration of new areas, was like I say, just sitting, listening to the music and seeing what this new area was going to have to offer like some of the moments that still stick with me were i entered uh satel marsh for the first time at night Mm. and i entered earth sea for the first time at night during a uh star shower and like just Mm. experiences like that where you that moment is now like seared into my brain and will be forever and the music has had such a huge part of that and i can still like I can still happily just sit and listen to it for hours and hours on repeat. <laughs> Chris Colru from the forum, I like this one, says, This game holds a special place in my household. I got it when my son was about three years old. I knew this was going to be my only chance to play through this game and wanted to see everything, every side quest, every piece of additional dialogue, the whole deal. This game took me about 175 hours in 30-minute increments over the course of two-plus years to complete from start to finish. During one of those play sessions, while playing with my son next to me, I'd reached the snowy mountain area. My son, who was probably close to five at this point, was sitting watching me play. We were high up in the mountains and noticed that there was a small small pool of water way down below. He asked me what would happen if I jumped down there. Could I land in the pool? So, of course, we tried it. We leapt off the cliff. I could honestly feel it in my stomach like riding an amusement park roller coaster. Thud. I just missed the water. R.I.P. Shulk. So I reloaded the game and tried it again and again. Huzzah, we made it. Shulk somehow survived a 1,000 foot drop by landing in two feet of water. This was now the game for my son and I. Any cliff anywhere in this game's large world was now a potential diving board. We spent weeks just warping to different areas to find great cliff jumping spots and seeing if Shulk could survive. To my son, that is Xenoblade Chronicles. He still talks about it to this day and he's now 10. So much so that I purchased the definitive edition for the Switch and he won't play it. Dad, it will take too long to get to the jumping parts, he says. Oh well. (laughs) 
Happy to support Monolith Soft by rebuying a great game, even if we still only ever play the Wii version for our own Xenoblade Family Olympics. Make your own fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that's just... I, I, I bring that up in the as we talk about locomotion just because I think it is worth pointing out to people who haven't played this that you're not going to have the same generally you're not going to have the same kind of interaction as you might you know hope for in in a post breath of the wild world and even knowing the relationship between that game and this one like uh these these are more like your traditional you've got a hop and a jump which allows you to jump up the occasional ledge but generally your your locomotion about the place is quite limited by by the the environment short of those bits where you can just suddenly make yourself a massive shortcut by shortcut by jumping into two feet of water from <laughs> from a great <laughs> height which which is a, a sense of freedom that you wouldn't have had in a in a pre this game jrpg i wouldn't have said uh and yeah there are some really weird bits like there's that bit where you go and, and in valak mountains where you go down that icy tunnel and it's like a bobsled run and if you don't check your momentum you can end up flying really fast <laughs> to the point that you can actually kill yourself just by landing further down the tunnel oh, which yeah. i thought was quite funny and weird <laughs> there's certain achievements in certain areas uh, and therefore side quests that you can do uh only as ricky because ricky is the only one small and light enough to fling himself <laughs> on those icy bits yeah if you climb up valak you can reach the peak of one of the mountains and you have to do it by whizzing down these like giant ice runs and ricky is oh, the only yeah, person yeah. who can do it because he's small oh, so uh... like you do it as Dunban or ryan you've got no hope <laughs> right physics yeah <laughs> Kanlik from the, our forum says the quasi real-time combat is as exhilarating as it is frustrating. It's quite reminiscent of raid quests in your run-of-the-mill MMO, where each party member has a specific role they must fulfill in order to complete combat encounters unscathed. Shulk embodies the RPG hero everyman, slightly overpowered, and is a good choice in any combat encounter. Melia can chain buffs and dish powerful elemental attacks, and Sharla supports the team with heals and her rifle. Each character has a unique moveset, breathing fresh air in combat encounters depending on who you control. This variety is great, but is hampered by the fact that you cannot switch between your party members mid-combat, relegating control of your party members to specific instances that are infrequent enough to not be considered as part of your combat strategy. This has the unfortunate effect of making support class characters like Ricky and Rain less engaging to play, since they rely on manipulating enemy behaviour to perform certain actions. This wouldn't be so bad if the partner AI was a bit tighter, but the combat actions they take feel too random to fully utilise your party composition. Thankfully, the combat for the more viable party members is varied enough that sequencing attacks and status effects is a joy to play. Yeah, I suppose uh, post having completed Final Fantasy XII, I was a bit surprised that there wasn't more you could do in terms of macro control of your AI party or even switch to those party members. But obviously, the game is designed around not needing that. Yeah, I I, I mean, you can, if, uh, if you have one of your visions as Shulk, you can, like, warn your party members in certain circumstances mm -hmm. and have them... Uh, choose an attack but yeah you can't ever really directly control them and you can't really program their ai uh as you could with uh final fantasy 12 but um you also 
get to choose like their move set. Um, I, I don't believe, to the best of my knowledge, mm. that they will use moves that are not equipped in their toolbar because no, everybody except for yeah, everybody except for Shulk has more moves than they can actually equip. That's right. So um, yeah. yeah, it. I mean, you can you can sort of uh, you know mess with their layout that way. That's true. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I completely agree with the and I, I kind of briefly mentioned this before but I completely agree with the the MMO comparison because I mm. mean it's a lot about buffs and debuffs it's a lot about aggro management it's a lot about um, you know uh, just cooldowns and and managing your your party composition I having played too much World of Warcraft in my time really was comfortable with the one DPS, one healer, one tank, um, which is what I, you know, ended up going yeah. with for most of the game. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like the more that I hear from other people about it, the more that it becomes apparent that there are really a ton of viable party options. Yeah. Um, which is, which is really cool. I, I really like that. But, um, yeah, I, it, it, to me, it, it really did kind of scratch that itch. So I, uh, while I did find it a little bit frustrating occasionally that you couldn't, like, Charlotte, I know your cooldowns are not that long. I need you to heal, please. <laughs> I really do. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, for the most part, I didn't have a problem with the AI uh, in the party. So one thing that I found in terms of the the combat and the feasibility of different party members and stuff is that... Um, a lot of people miss the Colony 6 side quest, which yeah, I think we'll probably right. get into in a bit, I think. Mm, um, yeah, but we can talk about it now. It's fine. Essentially, you have to collect uh, bits and pieces from around the world, uh, like little, they're called like little ether blobs, and you pick them up and they're like collectible yeah. things. They might be animals or plants or whatever, or gears yeah. or something. And you have to give these to this colony that's been like ravaged by the uh the mechon and help rebuild it and mm. all of your party's high level arts are in the colony six final stages of the quest i kind of so, guessed that yeah yeah so uh, a lot of people miss that and yeah. therefore can't take the extra party members into combat because they're not high enough level and yeah. like everything gets locked behind that towards the late game. You get game. some rare drops of, of high-level arts books I found through grinding, but I guess there's some that are just locked forever until you've done yeah. that. You can literally just quest. walk into a shop and buy them, and they're just right. there. So it's like once right. you unlock those shops, um, you can then max out everyone's art levels So because sure. they okay. have what, like, beginner, intermediate, and advanced level arts. And for the, yeah. the final sort of... I'd say 30% of the game, yeah. maybe even less than that, you need those high-level arts. So it kind of makes a lot of them just... Well, you can do it without if you overgrind like I did. Yeah, <laughs> but... yeah. Like certain enemies but... will drop the art books, but they're really low percentage yeah, chance yeah, of yeah. dropping. Yeah. Um, so the best thing to do is to go and get those, those art books from Colony 6. But so many people take one mm. look at it and say, there's five different aspects that I have to upgrade here four times. Yes. No, thank you. I did, I think I got the Colony 6 stuff to like, I think I got everything to level 3 and maybe one or two of them to level 4, but I didn't realize that that was where the arts books came from, mm -hmm. so I didn't push it that far. I started to get into the places where I was like, oh, okay, well now I actually have to go 
grind this particular enemy to get it to drop whatever, and I am not gonna do that yeah, right now. There's, and, yeah. There's a couple in um, Alchemoth, and there's a couple on the Mekonis, and obviously mm. they go away at certain points in the story. Yeah, yep. There's um, that too. So they all end up in Colony 6, because that's meant to be like your, I'm keeping on playing the game to get to the end game kind of thing. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. okay. But this, funnily enough, this was the first game that I ever had a notepad filled with like a shopping list. Excellent. <laughs> and I was like yeah. taking off where I could find things and then crossing them out when I got them. And yeah, it was uh, like back when I first played it, I grew up in the middle of the countryside. We had dial up internet until I was like 14. Um, and like I was not allowed access to the PC. So I would go on the PC whenever I could and print out these huge lists of things that I needed to collect. And it was, I just refer to that. And I didn't know where they were necessarily. I just had to go and find them. Um, So it then became this extra level of exploration and kind of bleeding the game dry. (laughs) Hence the 800 hours or whatever. Yeah. yeah, So when it came (laughs) to the definitive edition, um, I was obviously way more prepared for it and I knew not to get rid of anything. And, um, I did, I maxed out Colony 6 entirely, which I don't think I did in my first playthrough. Um, and to this day, it's still one of my favorite aspects of the game because of the, the relationship building that you get and the affinity tree and everything for the world. Like I loved that side of things. I thought it was a really interesting extra layer of mechanics to the game. Mm. Um, and the fact that you had to go off and find other people to bring them to Colony 6 as you rebuilt it because they'd need a, I don't know, an yeah. architect or a, a doctor or a, a shop vendor or somebody just felt like they were bored in their city and they, they wanted to seek adventure and stuff. And that was so interesting to me. It's a bit of, um, it's almost a little bit of act razor or a, a civilization in your, in yeah. your, in your JRPG. Uh, but I must admit for about 50 hours, I had that quest like on my list and I'd completely forgotten who Juju was or where I was supposed to go and to, <laughs> to speak to them. And then I'd sold all that stuff. So yeah, I feel like I've missed out big time then. New game plus though, who knows? Uh, someday maybe. Uh, and of course this being a JRPG, there's also weapons and armor to consider. There aren't potions in this game, which is a relief. A blessing to many. You don't have to have 99 stocks of 18 different types of potion. Uh, That's all handled with healing arts and things like that. But you do have swords and clothes. Uh, Well, not just swords, but things to hurt enemies with. Uh, And it's pretty much handled in the usual way. They have a bunch of stats. Uh, You get rarer and rarer ones as the game goes on, as you progress through the game. And there's some, yeah, ultra ultra good stuff i'm guessing maybe the uh, is there, like i'm wearing some pretty darn snazzy armor right now i can tell you at level 85 <laughs> um it's all kind of purple and shiny and turquoise and you know it looks pretty mad you can also in the definitive edition actually switch the cosmetic armor to anything you like so you can have the attributes of high level stuff while that, without looking like a ostentatious uh so and so yeah um, my um my party um so I, I decided pretty early on that what I was going to do was to have uh, my boys in uh, their swim trunks and, yeah. and shirtless. <laughs> How did I know um, that was going to come? Yeah. yeah, and then have all of the women in uh, the heaviest armor that I could find for right. them. Which still which shows off their breasts. I was going to say, actually, <laughs> for uh, 
uh, Melia and Fiora, they get pretty decent. I, I mean, it's it's form fitting armor and everything. <laughs> oh right, okay. Poor yeah. Charla. Yeah. You know, oh, poor Charla. She, she just the heaviest armor that yeah. you can put her in is still just leaving her butt exposed yeah. and yeah. has a a boob window and like I don't. So I don't have a problem with that design-wise. It just didn't really fit my my theme because I really wanted her to just be all buffed out, and you know she she was not. Uh, it's tropastic too, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. See, I, played... I said. I mean, I, I don't I don't mind as a stylistic thing, but um, I, I wish I'd had the option to uh, to give her a, a little bit more of a suit of armor. Oh god! Every time she came up on screen um, in a cutscene, I'd forget that I'd put her in that armor. And like, just her <laughs> entire butt would be on show, just like yeah. <laughs> mid cutscene. Um, but I tended to play with, uh, I tend to take the fashion souls approach, where I will make them look pretty. And I didn't bother doing the the aesthetic changing, um, like thing where you can put a certain type of armor on and change it to look like something else. I didn't bother with that. I just changed the armor as and when I yeah. I felt. Yeah, it needed same. changing, but the only time where I made things look aesthetically pleasing was you have to do it. When you go to the jungle, they all have to look jungle. Like, huh? <laughs> they have to. <laughs> and having Ricky dressed up like a little tiger and stuff is just amazing and it never gets old. Um, <laughs> but Shulk always has to be in his little in his little granddad sweater and his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I it it did get very funny for me, like especially when you get up into the snowy bits, and you know Rain and uh, and, and Shulk are just <laughs> up here shirtless, uh, just hanging out on the snow mountain. What is um, it, swimming com- oil or whatever it is? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah well, if if they're gonna make if they're gonna insist on the uh, female characters being almost naked, why not uh, make sure the the dude characters are basically in their trunks yep. as well Speedos. <laughs> uh but i really did like the gems so this is like materia really uh only uh, it's a bit different but essentially you're you can wedge shiny things in your weapons and armor and it gives you different levels of status power and and whatever else uh in the literal sense not the metaphorical sense and uh, there was a point where I'd kind of not really spent too much time looking at this until quite a long way into the game. I would just put things that looked like they were probably helpful and uh, and I would got to, yeah, whatever, whatever stage of the game. And then I think there was a point where I was starting to struggle with a few enemies that were story critical. So I thought, right, what haven't I optimized? And it was these gems. So I went back through and resorted everything and. And suddenly I was doing like three times as much damage and dying three times as uh, as less often by having just equipped the right gems. So, yeah, and it, and they make a nice little cling and you can go and make more in the town uh, through a special device and your affinity. Yeah. I'm just if I'm just you, uh, just doing stream of you, consciousness. now. <laughs> if you do that, um, that quest uh that that you said you had for the entire game you actually get a uh, if you raise the uh the level of colony six to level one everything to level one yeah. you get a little mini uh furnace that you can, you can carry with, with you, you. Yeah. yeah so there was that i didn't mess with the gem making too much i i did try to kind of make sure that my gems equipped were up to date and you know 
at least relatively uh, good for, for whatever situation I was in. But yeah, didn't do too much with the, the fusing gems. So because I didn't really understand it that much. No, it's a bit it's honest. a bit wacky. So I have a small confession to make. I still to mm. this day do not understand how the gem crafting works. Oh cool. Good. <laughs> um, no, that makes us feel better. But like yes. <laughs> on my most recent playthrough, I actually went hard on the assigning the correct gems to yeah, people yeah, yeah. that were active in terms of um I'd completely forgotten by the end of my first few playthroughs that uh, like topple and spike resist were a thing because yep. there's like oh, yeah. multiple different buffs that enemies have that will yeah. just mess you up if you're not careful. Um, and once you hit Magna Forest, which is about probably about 50% of the way through the game, um, not that, 30% of the way through, um, <laughs> it will teach you about these different things that the enemies can do. And from then on, I was making sure I had like the highest strength topple and spike resist uh right. gems on yeah. because it just makes makes the fights a breeze like some of the unique monsters and things that you find in mm. magna are lethal unless you have these gems on Absolutely. um and especially when you start reaching the maconis and you start getting those late level uh and late game even just the enemies uh it's necessary uh to have those gems on um and some of the late game unique unique enemies are terrifying without them and near impossible yeah. to beat unless you have them yeah. on. So yeah. it, it's definitely something that I dug into more on my most recent playthrough because I felt like I kind of had the, the now have the experience of playing more RPGs to understand what kind of benefits this would have. And yeah, I wanted absolutely. to get all the unique monsters in the areas that would disappear once I'd gone past them, you know? So of I made course. sure I was beating all the unique monsters to get all of their arts and all of their unique items and things because they also carry art books. Um, yeah, right. So, yeah. In traditional fashion, I guess uh, a, a reference that people would know would be rather like the emerald and ruby weapons in Final Fantasy VII. The uh, unique monsters in this game, some of them considerably outlevel the final boss of the game, for example, mm -hmm. and are harder to beat, yeah. Yeah. More hit points, more damage, more everything. Yeah. I like they're how really they're all shot. sort of thrown in though, like into the game. You'll have like um even in the opening area, if you swim around too much, you'll come across a monster that's fifteen levels higher than you and you'll be like, Oh right. sorry, I'll just leave yeah. you there and you kind of run away. <laughs> um but some of them will be possible to take down when you meet them. Some of them you'll have to come back at the end of the game. And like I say, you come across these literally just outside your village at the start and stuff so um and some of them are story critical too so it's mm. always interesting i think to uh come back and fight those things and they all have really funky names cool, as funny well. names yep. yeah yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> um and they became like almost like nemesis for me it yes. was I there'd be one that would chase me across the map and i'd be like please leave me alone and then i'd come back and and yeah. and kick it down later <laughs> at least they have a uh, a boundary beyond which they are not allowed to uh to 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 roam so you yeah, can some of that spike damage from... though <laughs> yeah. yeah they'll just murder true. you from a distance <laughs> yeah that's true rega from the forum says jrpgs in my experience are notorious for wasting your time be it grinding to level up characters backtracking having to level up equipment or grinding enemies for rare loot drops Xenoblade felt like the first JRPG I'd ever played that respected my time. 
The game was big enough without the need for superfluous padding to name but a few quality of life features, using landmarks for warp points to get around the huge areas easier, returning to the nearest landmark after death instead of reloading an earlier save, and with all skills and experience points intact, automatic health recovery after battles, quests being complete without having to hand them in to the quest giver, characters levelling up whether they're in the main party or not, changing the day-night cycle at will to active... Uh, activate certain quest lines or monsters and finally a jump button which stopped little walls or jagged parts of scenery becoming a 10 minute detour as you walked around them now i think it's interesting here so we've got in ellie somebody whose first jrpg this was and i know a few of the things mentioned there are definitive edition things but most of it stuff that was in the original whereas leah goes back to the earlier times of jrpgs where stuff like Dying and then having to reload a save or having to heal up all your party after a battle was kind of baked into the experience. So, Leah, as as somebody who has done all that stuff a lot, does it? Do you feel like you lose anything? The fact that the game's kind of taking away some of those kind kind of uh, yeah the the gnarly bits from you. No more of this, please. Cool. I, cool. I mean, cool. I yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm. I am tolerant of a lot of JRPG bullcrap uh yeah, to, right. to be uh honest yeah. i i it i guess just because i've played so many of them and it, yeah. it is a genre that i really enjoy so um I'm, I'm willing to put up with a certain amount sure. of that but that doesn't mean it's not i necessarily what, it's not what you're there for it. Right? yes I, yeah. when it's taken away as as in uh w especially with kind of elegant solutions like uh like those that uh were in this correspondence uh post here i mean that's that's great i'm i'm good with that uh yeah especially the not needing to go hand in most quests. Uh, there are a few exceptions to this, but there yeah, are. that's, yeah. that's great. The day night thing. Um, I don't think that, and Ellie, you'll know this better than me, but um, I don't think that was a thing in the original. Was it like you yeah, could not, it was. You just kind of had to, Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. I knew that they had the day night cycle. I just didn't recall that you could change it. Yeah. You traveling. just have to keep kind of flip flopping through it to get certain weather sometimes. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Yes, yeah. It's I think and it's I, more accessible in the new one. I think they made it like a you can just okay. do it from the main screen, I think, but um yeah. you yeah. just have to go through options to find it and then That's fast forward right. or rewind. I think having looked at some footage of the original, the 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 kind of menu was a bit more uh, Byzantine in that it was a bit more kind of icon based and there wasn't like a pause screen you kind of brought up at like a toolbar of mm -hmm. things uh so just yeah just more levels of stuff to get to know rather than just scrolling down a list of words and like change time and yeah i, I must admit like i understand there are some people who play games and hate to use fast travel because it sort of takes them out of the experience but oh my god this game without the fast travel would be <laughs> a thousand hours or more uh and and it's so convenient and i'm guessing the loading times are a lot quicker on switch than they were on the original wii version as well it actually wasn't too bad on the original not too bad yeah and okay. as someone who doesn't particularly like using fast travel um okay it's definitely welcomed like i i use it for getting from one side of the map to the other kind of thing if i'm in yeah. an area but generally i like yeah. to run around it anyway because you'll yeah. often find that quests will pop up as you're running around and you'll find new areas, True. you'll find more unique enemies. So I am de I'm definitely one of those people that likes to squeeze all the content out of a game. Um, but the fast travel is useful because it puts you, if you're going to a different area, it will put you where you need to be 
within a reasonable distance. Um, And you can pick and choose where you go to. It's not just the entrance of an area. So that's really nice. And then obviously the more you Mm. explore, the more fast travel points you unlock. Um, So uh, it's also nice that a lot of them are, they're based around landmarks. So you'll see a waterfall and when you finally reach it, it'll be like fast travel point unlocked. And then you'll know if you want to go in that direction, you can walk to the waterfall. So that sort of stuff is really nice. Kalik from the forum again says the side quests and collectibles are the black mark when thinking about Xenoblade Chronicles Legacy. In Kalik's opinion, the objectives are meaningless. Either some combination of picking up random drop A or defeating enemy B to get reward XYZ that either gets lost in your inventory or converted to chum for crafting. The quests feel rote and out of place with uh, for what is a well-realised game. Colony 6, the most ambitious side quest, falls under the same trappings that make the other side content such a bore to pursue. Because the city building requires materials that are randomly earned and the reward for building the city is seemingly inconsequential. Why would a player sink their time into grinding out the quest to rejuvenate this broken city? The relationship system also feels vestigial, almost unused during a playthrough, and where it does find use between party members, it incentivizes less experimentation from the player. It's disappointing that the side content of Xenoblade Chronicles was underdeveloped as it was because it had so much potential to emphasize the features that makes this game great. Any comeback on that? Well. <laughs> Where do you start? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I would I would agree with uh, with a certain extent of that, that being that I I can see how a lot of the side quests can be a bit repetitive. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And you can even yeah. see that in some of just how they're named. It's like Monster Quest 1, Monster Quest 2. <laughs> and you talk to the same one. person and they say, I came across a rabbit the other day and it was mean to me. Could you go and kill eight rabbits? Yeah, exactly. yes. And then you finish speaking to them and they've got another question, uh, exclamation yep. <laughs> mark. Say, I came across a crab the other day and it annoyed me. Could you go and kill seven crabs? And et cetera, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. I, I the rest of it I'm I'm not as uh as agreeable with but I will I'm, I'm I think Ellie probably has something to say about this. <laughs> no, I certainly agree on in the aspect of like those quests are absolutely just there to help you level if you need it. Like they are there to give you the the XP boost that you'd get for grinding anyway. Like they're yeah. they're there to give you a bit of a bonus for that. However, there is so many characters in that game and so many interpersonal relationships and so many side quests that riff off of those that that was one of the things that made me fall so hard for the game. Like you go talk mm. to uh, like a tiny Nopon in Frontier Village and he's like, oh, my my granddad's really sad and I don't know why. And then it puts the Nopon on your, on your thing and then you go and talk to an old man Nopon and he's like, oh, my grandson's worried about me and I don't know why. And then it gives you the relationship. And then you talk to the grandson again and he says, oh, could you go and find me some bugs for him? Because, like, that might make him happy. And then you find out that, like, he's made a new friend, but the friend, like, the granddad has made a new friend and the friend likes to eat bugs so they can't be friends now. And then it kind of, like, it just spirals and becomes this huge thing. And that characterization was so engaging for me. Um, just throughout the whole game. And like I say, then throwing in the Colony 6 stuff and the relationships between all the different settlements and cities and and things. And then when when Alchemoth goes wrong and everybody gets displaced and you have refugees all over the world and you're dealing with the fallout of that and you realise that certain children have lost their parents and these are people that you were doing side quests for like a couple of hours earlier and Mm. things. Like, that characterization 
meant so much to me playing through. And yeah, I totally agree. The monster quests are boring as heck. But <laughs> when the characters are so um, diverse and amusing and the stories are all different and you have this variety of gameplay beyond the main path quests, it's almost like yeah. it feels like if you don't begin to dive into it, you're going to miss that entire aspect. And yeah. things like the uh, the entire, I don't even know if you two will have come across this, but the entire knock-on-drug mm. ring quest, like, uh. is, yeah, that is a whole thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. Where you See, this, out... this is where I feel bad, because I think I, I, I basically I knew because of time I, I'm, I was going to have to kind of hammer through a lot of the dialogue, and so I didn't um, immerse myself in those side stories as much as I would in an ideal world. So did you go and do the quest with the knock-on in Sattel Marsh that wanted the red pollen orbs really early on? Mm. I did, yeah. Probably. That Probably. just escalates throughout the whole game <laughs> and you find wow. out... Well, They're all crack fiends. Well, yeah. Well, Alchemoth is still a thing. You find out that the red pollen orbs are actually used to make caviar and it's being like dealt in these like underground circles and then you end up facing like a knock on drug lord who fights you on a pterodactyl. And it's like, it's wild. Wow. And this story spans like like a good 40% of the game and it just keeps going. But if you don't find certain players in that in that mm. uh, series of quests, it involves maybe, maybe eight to 10 characters. And like, right. if you don't find one of them, you miss a quest and then you can't carry it on. So... It definitely rewards that that exploration aspect and that let's talk to everyone and learn more about them and find out their relationships and see what they can have to offer. And you'll get, again, you'll get high-level arts from them as well. And one of them, I think, actually contains one of Shulk's Monado arts. So, like, mm. it definitely... It's not a game for someone that only has 50 hours to finish it. No. <laughs> if you're just no, going to skim over all the side that. content and not dig into it, then yeah. you are going to find that the side quests seem boring. But... Yeah. The latter half of the game has so much in there that it's definitely worth doing the exploration and putting the effort in early on um, to get those those character payoffs. God, I'm kind of sad I missed the Nopon Drug Lord. Now. It's hilarious. It's get so good. I, I, I know I got into the first bit of that. Like, there's that there's that one Nopon who's like out on the on a, in a like a little cave yeah. on the side of a mountain. Yeah. And I I got up and did that part, but I think I think I trailed off a little bit after that. Oh, you uh, have to infiltrate really... a secret yeah. club. You have to learn recipes. You have to provide people with things, and then it ends up with you realizing that people are double crossing each other. And you tell them all, and they're all like, hey, no, this is not okay. And then you fight at the top of the Nopon tree. You fight this Nopon oh. on a pterodactyl. <laughs> and that's another one of those battles that was really, really hard unless you have certain gems. And it's like, yeah, but... it's, uh, I think it's like a level 70 quest or something. Like it goes that far through the game. Oh, um, right. Okay. So yeah, and it, it's just great that these people that you meet really early on can be these players at the end of the game it's fantastic cool. toon scottoon comes back with another couple of questions for us what do you think is the most original thing in this game i ask this because much of this game seems inspired by something else you've got the monado giving off buster sword vibes the battle system which has a lot of final fantasy 12 in it plus the tribal tattoos and clothing options that seemed ripped right out of a coachella tent party for my money i did not see the final plot twist that explains the creation of the bionis and mechanist coming Oh, God. The most original thing? 
I yeah, I mean, I think I think the setting is you yeah, know yeah. just the world being built around these two gigantic titans. titans. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that that for me, I think, is probably one of the things that I I don't believe I've seen really in, no. in other uh, in other games. Yeah, once they wake up, it's like I I don't know of any other game that has done something like that. And the fact that you can be on them while they're moving and they start fighting again is just it's so cool. Rega. Once again, from the forum says, I've heard the hosts on Kana Rinse for years talk about their epic shelf. And if I had one, this would be one of the few games on it. It was the first game in years that I couldn't get out of my head once I'd started it. I'd be at work or with friends and all I wanted to do was play this instead. There's no better feeling when a game gets its hooks in you in this way, especially as it happens less often the older you get. Seeing Territorial Rothbart as soon as you step out onto the Bionis leg after the first few hours is an absolute game changer. I'd seen enemies on the map in games such as Grandia 2 and Final Fantasy XII, but never as huge or as high level as this. Surrounding him was an area filled with rivers, rivulets, lakes, archways, plateaus, valleys, and tons of other smaller, more manageable wildlife and enemies. It felt like a living, breathing place and I couldn't wait to explore it, a feeling I felt every time I stepped into a new area. I adore it. It's the first JRPG I've truly loved since Skies of Arcadia. It's a victory lap for JRPGs. A total triumph. Skies of Arcadia is really good. On the list. <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, that had a, a, a rebalanced version with less grinding as well on the GameCube. Did. Yeah. Uh, also, very hard to find these days. Yeah, that's the trouble. Uh, so Future Connected was, a yeah, an addendum, like a, an extra little chapter, a kind of sequel DLC, but included in the definitive edition for no extra cost. They probably could have charged for it and people would have bought it, but they elected to put it in the package. Kodama1987 from our forum says, while not as all consuming as the main game, I really enjoyed my time with it. A new yet familiar environment, some new characters along with old ones, an ever so slightly different battle system using the Ponspectors instead of chain attacks that forced a change in my fighting style, a new more modern outfit for Shulk which I must say I prefer to his classic outfit, but more importantly a fitting end to Melia's story arc, one of my preferred team members, which the epilogue centres around. Leah, you got managed to get into this and uh, see it I did. Yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, I spent, um, I, I think my, my final clock on it was about 12 hours, and I did uh -huh. most of uh, kind of a similar uh, degree of thoroughness that, that I that I put to the mm -hmm. uh, the main game. Um, yeah, so the, you uh, you only have the four characters. You have Shulk, Malia, and then uh, two of uh, Ricky's children, Nene and Kino, yep. um, who are basically no pawn clones of uh ryan and charla uh <laughs> which is fine i mean that that worked out perfectly for me because those were the ones that i was using anyway yeah, so pretty cute um, too. yeah and they got and good costumes I, yeah they 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 do have good costumes um and you know the the storyline is based um as this has said uh it's it's based around melia uh, you go back to her uh, her home and find that it has been uh, kind of taken over by these uh, kind of mist creatures, and it's it's kind of the story of getting back into or uh, of finding the people who have been displaced from that and and helping them in uh, solving this this mist beast problem, and 
the <laughs> the pawn specters are kind of the new mechanic. A lot of the mechanics uh, are kind of slimmed down a little bit. Like you don't, you do not have the relationship charts anymore. Uh, you still no. have the same kind of battle mechanics, except for uh, you don't have chain attacks anymore. You uh, pretty early on into it get access to a chest, a, a um, excuse me, a, a quest chain that. Uh, involves you going around and finding members of this kind of research team made up of a bunch of Nopon. And as you rescue them, which can sometimes just involve finding them, sometimes it, usually it will involve doing some kind of quest for them or, or uh, uh, fighting a boss for them or something like that. Uh, and I, I think there's 12 of them. Yeah, there's 12 of them. And as you rescue them, they join you. And uh, instead of having chain attacks you basically get these kind of super attacks from that that get stronger the more of these no pawns you have in your party <laughs> they will also fight with you um although they're not they're not super effective uh, i found but uh, i i really you have the opportunity to either um have them like follow you around on the world map or you can turn that off and just have them show up in battle but uh -huh. i really just enjoyed having t a line of 12 oh, like flickies following me around kind of yeah right um yeah, but uh, they they were uh, once you get a number of them in your party that power attack that you can get with them is it's pretty brutal um it, it helped me with some of the uh, side bosses. They're tough little so-and-sos, aren't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. I enjoyed... So, uh, I, yeah. I went around and did a bunch of side quests. I uh, It's it's very confined. Uh, you only have access to really two areas. Um, yeah. The Bionis' shoulder and then uh, Alchemoth you go into again to, uh, to kind of clear it out. But, um, yeah, it was, like I said, about 12 hours. And uh, I, I it was a nice little, uh, nice little cap off. Um, two things I wanted to mention is you can tell that this area was built on the Switch. It's a bit more pretty and sophisticated um, than the stuff that was polished up from the Wii. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that new jazz funk battle music is cool. Oh, gosh, yes. It's it's very um, 70s exploitation yep. film. Um, yeah, I, I sent... Uh, I, I, I sent uh, on Slack uh, Brian a, um, a clip of the music from the battle, right. and he said that it's uh, it sounds like Shaft. Um, yes. So yeah. Uh, yeah. there you go. It's very cool. It sort of that's a good uh, give give the uh, the listener a good idea of the vibe of the DLC compared to the main game. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's a bit more kind of a uh, bit more chill, a bit more laid back. So Ellie, as a major major fan of xenoblade chronicles were you you must have been excited to tuck into another little portion of it a dessert i was and i still haven't played it <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, there you go something to save up it's funny you mention about it being a new area though uh the bionis shoulder was actually a cut area from the first game so uh, it really? did exist oh, in the first knowledge. game it can, be, <laughs> it can be found in the files um but yeah it's mm. something that they they deemed it to be too similar to gower plains and the leg yeah, so they cut sense. it. Is, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is quite similar. So yeah, I, I'm i now getting the itch to go and play it. It's one of those things that I, I finished yeah, yeah. my main playthrough on stream and then I just kind of never... I moved on to something else. I think it was Last of Us 2 came out like two weeks after, right? Or something. Right. Um, and I think I got stuck into other things and now it's been over a year and <laughs> I still haven't touched it. Uh, so, you start at level 60, I think, is it? Okay. So, I believe so, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I might get yeah, so you, it. So might... it doesn't feel like too much of a drudge. It's definitely not to be recommended for somebody who hadn't played oh, yeah. the, uh, the original game. It would make absolutely no sense, I don't think, as a standalone. Uh, definitely one for the fans. I didn't find it too terribly difficult either. Um, no, I, no. It, it was, um, like, like you, as you said, you do start out at level 60, but um, I, I, I did most of the, uh, as I said, the side quests, and I... The final boss in that, I don't know what level he is, but I was way overpowered for him by the time I okay. got there. So, Good stuff. I might chip yeah. away at it. Nice little, uh, nice little, yeah. as you say, dessert. <laughs> Cheese board. Uh, Kadama1987 is our last uh, piece of long-form correspondence for this show. Thanks to everyone for your input. Kadama says, whilst visiting a friend many years ago, a conversation was struck about a game he had completed for the Wii, Xenoblade Chronicles a game that was described as one of the best RPGs he'd ever played with a great battle system and fantastic story. As a non-Wii owner at the time, I was happy for him, but upset that it was unlikely I was ever going to play this game. A year later, a Wii appeared in my shared accommodation in North Wales. Safe to say the current owner of the console had no more interest in it and said it was essentially for others to use as they saw fit. Jackpot! A few weeks later, I found a gap in my work schedule to warrant a trip back home to see family and friends with the ulterior motive of raiding my friend's gaming library. Xenoblade Chronicles was put in my hands within moments of walking through the door and with almost more excitement on his face than mine. Some hours into the game, I came across Alvis and the Telethia for the first time. I was genuinely enjoying the game, but little did I know that was the last I was going to see of it for a very long time. I couldn't even tell you the circumstances of why I stopped playing. The longer I didn't play it, the more daunting the prospect of going back to it became. It ended up going back to my friend unfinished. For the next few years, whenever the conversation of favourite games comes up, my friend berates me for not having completed it. 2019 and Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is announced and I see my opportunity. A global pandemic begins in the lead up to its release, solidifying my desire to buy the game with an abundance of free time and, if nothing else, to help maintain my sanity. This time it was a different story. Hours lost to discovery on the Bionis and the Mechanis, soaking in the beautiful landscapes and mesmerising soundtrack, developing friendships between characters, battling creatures far beyond my current capabilities, looking at you, territorial rotbart, searching for materials and monsters to complete side quests. Meeting Alvis again made me realise how little I'd scratched the surface last time and I vowed to uncover everything the game had to offer. 130 plus hours, all possible side quests complete bar the branching lines that lock out, Colony 6 fully rebuilt, all social links complete, even if it was a grind at the end for little gain by that point, changing the time of day in areas to hear the different soundtracks for night and day and to observe different weather cycles, an ending that I could not have guessed, revealing the origins and creation of the gods, the Bionis, the Mechanis, and even more to my astonishment, Alvis. Xenoblade Chronicles is one of my favourite games of all time, an almost missed opportunity that came round again at the right time. Much like the shooting stars in the night sky in Erith Sea, a bright moment during a bleak time in the world where I could forget everything else around me and let the Monado show me the future. Thank you so much. I think uh, Kodama is a new poster. Welcome and thank you. We also have 200 hour game or whatever, 120, depending. <laughs> Summed up in just three little words at a time. Let's start with uh, Leah. 
Quince93 says, it's ride time. Chris Chung says, really feeling it. Bearfish Pie says, epic biomechanical conflict. Mule Center 78 says, Deus Ex Machina. Thomas the Tank M1 says, single player MMO. Sean S. Thomas says, are they Welsh? Coup de Gravy says, elevated by dub. It took me a while to realise that they didn't mean dubstep or dub reggae. Uh, <laughs> no, they meant, the, prob- they meant probably the, not. The, the voice acting. I was thinking, I don't remember <laughs> any dubstep in this. Uh, BLC Agnew says, delightfully fun fusion. Billy Cupid says, never ending story. And Scientologist says, change the future. There we have it. So it just remains for us to sum up our feelings on this mighty game. I'll go first, not because I'm negative on it, but uh, I'm I, I I'm just going. I'm just going first. Uh, it was it was a, a long held ambition of mine to play through this game. It looked, although I yeah I do have a patchy record of finishing JRPGs, as I know many many players of video games do. Uh, when I get into them, I do really, really enjoy them. And uh, and this one just had the marks, uh, the mark of a game that I was just going to really enjoy and be able to sink into. And I do want to stress that playing games like this to a deadline is absolutely not the best way to play them. Um, but on the flip side of that, it does mean that you get them done, which is what I've done over the last uh yeah, several months, and particularly the last few weeks. Uh, there was even a point where uh, I went down the local loading bar, which is uh, a, a chain of um, video game themed uh, cafe bars in uh, in the UK. We have one in Brighton. It's a very nice place. And I went down there with my uh, partner and our niece the other week and uh, was hooking up the switch to the screen in their switch in the switch dock in there on the screen to get some like just a few more bits played just before uh before the deadline of the show it was uh it was that much down to the wire and uh and at that point i was on like yeah like 80 something hours played and that felt like quite a lot and obviously a lot of stuff goes by the way while that's happening uh and in the end yeah i'm on 92 hours and uh i've seen the way the story pans out and uh, yeah, I, I've come away with, despite those occasional frustrations, difficulty spikes and grinding points, I've come away with almost exclusively positive feelings about the game. I think this is like the, I would say, I, I haven't played all the RP, all the JRPGs in the world, but I've played enough for me to say that confidently, like this is a really great starting point and like kind of, uh, uh, especially in its definitive edition form, a very accessible kind of platform for to get a real sense of what these games can be at their kind of peak with in terms of exploration and combat systems and characters and all the things that jrpg fans love are here uh in absolute spades uh but yes you do need to spend some time with it to get the most out of it uh, but if you can commit between yeah i would say minimum of 80 hours absolute minimum really uh to get leveled enough to complete the final boss although you could play on casual maybe you'd have maybe you'd have just as good a time but um but yeah i would absolutely recommend this on your switch Aaliyah. 
So as I'm guessing here, but I, I think I'm correct, as probably the person here who has played the most JRPGs. Probably. Yeah. Um I would say that this is it's up there as as in terms of mm. good ones that I have played. Um I I've played a lot of questionable jrpgs um and i've played a lot of good ones too uh it's 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 a genre that i really enjoy it's a genre that i try to kind of get a a broad sampling of prior games uh or older games as well as newer ones and i like a lot of what xenoblade chronicles does i like the setup i really like the setting the story is wild and goes some directions that I definitely did not expect but was not entirely surprised by because anime uh and I I just it was a joy to play especially in the uh in the new uh switch edition which as we've mentioned multiple times has a lot of quality of life improvements that really just make it easy to sit down and spend those 80 hours and you know you don't have to do it all at once you don't have to commit to doing a bunch of this a day if i mean we've had some correspondents who say that they you know did it in 30 minute increments and that's fine that's another great thing that i don't think we mentioned is that you can just save wherever and it's fine so i mean i did a final run towards the final boss where you cannot save. yeah there was that but yeah um, yeah yeah. but yeah anywhere anywhere else you can save uh and also on the switch you know if you're playing on the switch you can put it in sleep mode which is what i did a lot Mm -hmm. so yeah if you have access to a switch i would definitely recommend the definitive edition if you have access to a wii and not a switch then i i would probably still recommend i i don't have the complete uh say on this one because i never finished it but i i think i would probably still recommend the Wii version if you can get a hold of it. Uh, I don't I don't actually know how difficult Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii is to find these days. I haven't looked into it, but uh, who knows? Wii games Wii games vary wildly, but I I do recommend playing this game if you have any interest in JRPGs and uh, and haven't, because it is an enjoyable time kind of all around, and um, like I said, Ryan, best boy forever. Um, my favorite himbo. Uh, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. Play this game. If you, like if it. you enjoy this genre, you will, uh, really like it, I think. Yeah. And, uh, well, probably not going to be a strong recommendation. <laughs> I don't think I'm being ironic. It's our super fan and guest, Ellie. Um, I said this earlier, but like, I really don't have the words to explain how much I love this game and how special it is to me um but bias aside it is a very good jrpg it is a very good game if you like open world exploration games the soundtrack is incredible the environments are incredible the characters are lovable and fun and the story moves at a breakneck pace sometimes uh towards Mm. the end and it keeps you on your toes and it's got so much there to find and just squeeze out of it and i love almost everything about it and it remains one of my favorite gaming experiences of all time um 
despite <laughs> despite having played a lot of video games now it still it still remains up there it's it's an incredibly special game and one of the better ones in the uh Xenoblade franchise and series um and i would recommend it to anyone that that wants a world and a story to really sink some time into and like you said, it can be done in, in 60 hours. I've done it in 60 hours. It's nowhere near as enjoyable as spending 150 in it. Um, right. <laughs> and it's well worth that time investment if you if you have the ability to do that. Um, mm. Just because there is so much to see, uh, not even in a, in a side quest kind of sense. There's so much just to physically see in it. Uh, so yeah, please go go buy the game, go play the game. The Switch experience is vastly improved. Um, from the Wii version and the Wii version is not easy to get now and it's not easy to run on things mm. now so yeah it's even 10 years later it's still a fantastic game well never apologize for bringing your biases because that's really all we have in the end isn't it it's <laughs> uh it's all subjective but um no, it's a great uh summary i think it's a a full recommendation yeah albeit and i would also like to just quickly add that if you enjoyed xenoblade one pick up xenoblade two and uh mm. torna as well which is the expansion because in the way that x kind of diverted from the game from the first game two brings it back and i again put 150 hours into that and maybe didn't enjoy it quite so much but the payoff was worth it and torna okay. is the definitive xenoblade experience but you have to play two to understand it so okay right well yeah. as i say we we may come back um i i don't think i could miss out x because i bought that game uh when it came out for like full price and i still haven't played it so i, I really you know i feel like if if we do continue this series on the podcast i feel like we ought to do x it is very very different yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all i'll say mm. <laughs> yeah oh well interesting series uh, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Leah and Ellie. Uh, what would you like to plug, point people in the direction of yourself on um, the internet and that? I am Ellie Joy Panic everywhere online, basically. Um, I stream four days a week, uh, playing a whole variety of games. Um, things like Xenoblade, like Zelda, uh, Planet Zoo, Bloodborne, Dark Souls. I do all sorts and I uh, predominantly fundraise um, as the kind of core part of my content. So uh, if you'd like to find me on Twitter or Twitch, you can do that through uh, my username, Ellie Joy Panic. Brilliant. Get involved, people. Also, thanks to Editor Jay, as well as all of our correspondents. Excellent, as always. And to you for listening. Next time, in issue 482, a quarter of a century of Terry and Mai and Geese, Yori and the rest of the gang in our The King of Fighters podcast. <laughs> <laughs>